Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Hello listeners, welcome to Freedom of Species, where the radio show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. Before us was Sally with her show Out of the Pan, covering all issues queer and pansexual. She's on every Sunday, right before us at 12, so tune in to her great shows. Yeah. Yeah. My name is Davita, I am your host today, together with Trev. Hello. I'd like to personally acknowledge the Rondri people of the Kulin Nation, uh, on whose lands I live as the custodians of the lands on which I live and work and from which this episode will be broadcast. And I want to thank them for their continuing care for country despite ongoing colonization. Yeah, I'd also like to acknowledge that I'm living and working and we're broadcasting on Wurundjeri land. It's stolen land. Sovereignty was never ceded and that we should keep that in mind, how we can be complicit in ongoing colonization and how we should aim not to be and how we can be uh, accomplices for First Nations people to try and keep up their resistance. Also, regarding First Nations struggles, recently there was a big misinformation campaign that was spread about COVID government response in some remote communities and First Nation communities. And I think it's really important that we keep in mind that we, we shouldn't be taking First Nations issues and hijacking it for our own political reasons or our own purposes, which is exactly what happened with anti-vaxxers or COVID denialists with the misinformation campaign coming out of those marginalised communities. There's been lots of reports since that have put the facts out on the table of there were no forced injections, the, the army wasn't there forcing people around, they were just helping with logistics. Uh, we're not pro-police, we're not pro-army, but we also think that it's it's not worth exaggerating and, and saying these things when they're not true. So um, please be vaccinated. Don't listen to the misinformation campaigns. So today is our last normal programming show right before the summer holiday, uh, during which the special summer programs were on. And today we want to talk to you about animal voices. Yes. Yes. We want to talk about animal voices because we've seen lots of examples come by in animal advocacy organizations who allude or invoke voiceless animals or that animals don't have a voice. Or that they want to be the voice for animals. Yes, exactly. also imply or say outright that the animals are voiceless themselves. Yeah, and this can be seen in, for example, organizations such, such as Anonymous for the Voiceless or James Espy, who's the, who did a voiceless 365 campaign. Animal Justice, who had a campaign on voiceless for animal justice. 
and um, Guardians of All Voiceless Animals in the USA. And it's quite odd to talk about animals who are voiceless, because they're not. Yeah, you'd hope that it's obvious to people, but it's it's not because it's a term that continues to be used. Mm-hmm. Um, the Animal Justice Forum that you mentioned, which is Voices for Animal Justice, was only last month mm. in Canada. So still recently used term that a lot of people don't seem to have a problem using. And we wanted to talk about that today. Yeah. And we're going to have lots of animal voices in the show today. Um, but yeah, one of the problems, you know, some first considerations about this voiceless trope is that... You know, you sort of depersonify animals. They're not seen mm. as individuals who have a, who have a voice, but seen as things that make noises. The way mm. a computer makes a noise, or a car makes a noise, birds make noises in the background. Yeah, that it's this involuntary thing that mm. has no agency or has no meaning. Yeah, yeah. And we want to dive a bit deeper into that today. Um, how can we attune to those voices, and what might those voices be saying? Mm. So one of the things I'd actually want to start with is a recent newspaper article that says that baby bats babble away. <laughs> and that just like human toddlers, baby bats were observed to yeah, use have babbling periods in which they mash up syllables that the adults use to a sort of like clockwork like beat. And when one <laughs> of these sessions, a babbling bout can last it even up to 43 minutes. And this is about learning, you know, learning the language of your culture. But it's also about having fun because the researchers said it's sort of like a, a comfort behavior. That's really cool. Yeah. And I wanted to play you something. Yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> I wanna, I'm going to play you the sound of bats. And it's not the bats in the article because those were micro bats. But these are the, the flying foxes. And everyone who thinks animals are voiceless have clearly not met the flying foxes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they can be loud. They can be loud. Yes. Mm. And um, not only bats and human toddlers, but sperm whale babies also go through a babbling period similar to human infants. And there's actually this beautiful book written on whale language. And that in that babbling period in sperm whale babies, they acquire their family codas. Yeah, so they are learning signals to determine their group identity from yeah. their families. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and there's actually dialects in whale lang- in sperm whale languages. There's dialects of clicked codas, mm. and that's you know that's something that we don't usually think of when we hear animals. Is that voices are symbols of identity, and mm. um, the author of this book, Carl Safina, wrote. Certain bats, birds, and many other creatures recognize individuals by the sounds of their clicks, howls, trumpets, and songs, their voices. And I also wanted to share another quote by him because it's just beautiful. He writes, animals produce signal codes in sounds, scents, songs, dances, rituals, and language. Humans use language so much that it stems our own ability to recognize subtle and not subtle nonverbal signals that we ourselves continually display and respond to. 
Many animals too use meaning-bearing gestures. The world is awash in layers and waves of communication. And I like that because he touches upon both the verbal and the non-verbal communication. Yeah. Yeah. And I love how, you know, language is meaning-bearing gestures and that's not unique to humans. Mm. It's across the whole animal kingdom. Mm. And these these examples, these are mammals. Bats are mammals, sperm whales are mammals, but it's not only it's not limited to mammals alone. For example, there's fish. Yeah, I wanted to mention, um, Joan Danaya writes in a book, Animal Equality, Language and Liberation. I'll just read this excerpt. Although they lack vocal cords, fishes of at least hundreds of species talk in ways that include vibrating their air bladder, grinding their teeth, and rubbing bony parts of their body together. They produce sounds ranging from buzzes and clicks to yelps and So he wanted sobs. to introduce you to some of the theories that are used in, in thinking about animal language in animal sciences. Yeah. And with learning about animal languages, you start to learn about their cultures. And that's something that we even less think of animals as having, as having a culture, as if only yeah. humans have culture. And that's not true. There's learning a language is learning a culture. And that's something that Eva mm. Meyer also, another author that I want to introduce here. Eva Meyer introduces us to when she uses the concept of language games by language philosopher Wittgenstein. Sorry, guys, I'm taking you deep into the into the theories here. <laughs> but she says, using Wittgenstein's theories, she writes, we can never define language as such. It's always tied to social practices and its meaning is always generated by use. And that's something, you know, we're always relating to other animals and we're always using communication for that. Yeah. Okay, I want to share another recording, something that we heard on a walk when we walked our foster dog, Riley. This is the peacock sound. But what was actually funny is that a few days later, I was walking Riley in Yarabin Park and there was this big, loud festival going on, you know? You hear the uns, 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 coming from afar but above all of that the festival sounds you could hear i heard the peacocks again loud and clear right above the music that came from the festival yeah wow yeah i got such a beautiful call as well yeah it's also interesting to think how many sounds that we make as humans that we wouldn't call vocalizations because hmm. pretty much everything that we all the noises that humans make, we consider vocalizations. Mm. Um, there might be a few that we don't, maybe yawning or coughing or sneezing, things that are sort of involuntary mm. that you might not consider using your voice. But even still, they often convey meaning or they have an implied meaning. Mm. Just because you yawn doesn't mean you're tired, but it often has that meaning that mm. comes across. So, yeah, it's really interesting that it's so innate that we see every human vocalization is having a meaning but we don't necessarily translate that across to animals automatically mm -hmm. for yeah. some for some reason we have to really prove that an animal was trying to communicate when they're making a vocalization because if they if we can't then we assume that it's just background noise mm. or just their involuntary existence noises yeah but there's intentionality behind a lot of language Definitely. Yeah. 
it's not involuntary signals. Yeah. And that's it. Animals aren't just restricted to sounds that are involuntary. They also mm-hmm. do lots of voluntary noises. Yeah. And meaningful noises. Yeah, exactly. So this was uh, a quick deep dive into how to think about animals and animal language and also humans communicating with animals as sort of language games, you know, defined by use. But it's time to take a break. Yeah, what song? What is our first song today, Trev? Our first song today is from a local vegan who goes by the name TRH. And this is his track called Lose a Curse. Find an excuse to lose your word And leave me with a bad luck curse Everything I touched, bent and bowed Undisclosed, another lost hope Under the sky, under the sea You will find me, but I'll be at peace Don't you dare put words in my mouth I'm coming with the rain and the clouds Fire to my heart, line to my mouth Taking everything I've got You don't know the half of what I felt Don't you dare put words in my mouth 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 You pick a fight, but I refuse To help you trap me to lose It wouldn't be true if it came from you I'll tighten my noose and kick it out Under the sky, under the sea You will find me, but I'll be at peace Don't you dare put words in my mouth I'm coming with the rain and the clouds Fire to my heart, lightning to my mouth It's taking everything I've got You don't know the half of what I felt Don't you dare put words in my mouth Don't you dare put words in my mouth Don't you dare put words in my mouth Don't you dare put words in my Under the sky, under the sea, under the sky, under the sea, under the sky, under the sea. And if you really cared And if you really cared And 
if you really cared there's kind of a lot of a lot of things that are coming up to the fore at the moment as well, particularly in terms of the way that we imagine, for example, essential work and also sort of essential community life or essential caregiving um, and how those how those function. If we think about sort of the way that queer family often takes very, very sort of different forms and very you know important and meaningful forms that often don't match the picture of normative, heteronormative family life, but how so many of the of the affordances or the restrictions or the kind of the, the government governmental sort of imagining of the way that we should live and what we need to live and what we need to survive really is shaped around heteronormativity. You know, it's around the family life in the suburb, as opposed to many, you know, single individuals who have shared queer family both sexual and community connections that sustain them and that kind of give them give them life and give them give them sort of energy and comfort and safety and security and support you're listening to 3cr community radio 855 am on digital and online 3cr radical radio A message from Victoria's community sector. I'm looking forward to not worrying that my patients are going to die of COVID. To no one else being separated from their mum in aged care. I'm looking forward to our wedding and having our family and friends from overseas here with us. I really want to see my mum. I'm looking forward to being able to welcome guests without a mask on. To having all the sports back to normal so that my family members can come and watch me play. I look forward to performing in front of a big crowd again. So please, get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Let's get back to the good things. I ask you to get vaccinated. For all of us. Please get vaccinated. A message from Victoria's community sector. A 3CR supporter. Hello listeners, welcome back to Freedom of Species. You just heard... T-R-H with the track Loser Curse. We're talking animal voices today to yeah, to make clear that they do have voices and that they aren't voiceless. Because there are real problems in perpetuating the voiceless, invoking animals as voiceless and some of the problems we want to dive a bit more deeper in. And you might hear amongst the animal noises we're playing some of Riley's snoring. Riley's our foster dog who is sleeping on our laps while we're doing <laughs> this pre-record. She seems to be very happy just snoring away. Mm. <coughs> 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 so even though it's pretty obvious that animals communicate with each other and communicate with humans, um, hopefully some of what we've said earlier helps make people realize that they do have voices and that it's not just communicating, it's Mm -hmm. expressing voices and there's real intent in lots of different ways from lots of different animals. And I guess moving further from that is what can we do to apply that to our social justice and advocacy, Mm. you know, theory and how we can better our advocacy using these concepts. And I guess the main issues that come up is looking at the history of the term voiceless anyway, which 
most people that use the term voiceless, they don't intend for that term to have any negative connotations. They're trying to say that even if they're using it for people, for humans, they'll be normally referencing humans that because of their marginalization, because of whatever category, that they don't have a voice be that they don't have a vote in parliament or they don't Mm -hmm. have a chance to vote at all. You know, there's been obviously times when women can't vote. There's been times when First Nations people could not vote. There's been times when lots of different people, people who've been to prison Mm. can't vote. I think a, a lot of people try or at least start using the term voiceless with these, shall we say, good intentions of trying to you know, charitably look at the term and use it in in a way that does make sense in a social justice Mm. advocate sort of way. However, it does have negative implications, which it's really important that people understand, especially when we apply with animals, but even even without animals. And I guess probably the best crossover with that is of disability. Mm. Sonara Taylor has written a great book called Beasts of Burden. And in that, she goes into a, a great amount of detail of the, the crossover and interconnection between ableism and speciesism um, and what are some of the common issues that both disabled people face and that animals face with their different oppressions that they are facing. One of her really good points is that when looking at disability, um, it's still common even today to see disabled people framed as helpless beings who cannot help themselves and they need us to help them. That's even the preferred view in in some cases of able-bodied people to see them that way and they prefer to see them as people that they can help and that they are helping. There's even countless organisations and charities that still they try to help disabled people and that's their intention is to advocate for disabled people but they don't include any representatives, not even a single one in some cases, of people in their decision-making processes who are disabled themselves and have lived experience with disabilities. So the movement as a whole sums this up with their, with their protest phrase, nothing about us without us. Thinking that people are voiceless or that they need saving because they cannot save themselves, it really others them even though they're Mm. the people that you're trying to help. And it can actually be making things harder to undo the oppressive system within society that is othering them. Mm. There's some big parallels in animal advocacy Mm. to what Sonara Taylor describes there with the disability advocacy scene, and that being that most animal advocates and organisations don't have any animals on the decision-making process. There's hopefully a few sanctuaries that do. Mm. Um, It is quite difficult when I first started thinking about agency of animals, that animals can express their political choices themselves. I was like, how are we going to get them into the voting booths? You know, (laughs) how how are we going to get them to sign the stencil? (laughs) Which is what I guess a lot of people must must, must hear as well. They might hear us talking and think, eh? Yeah, animals in in decision making processes. In Parliament, how, how are we going to do that? <laughs> and that's a really good point because we have to, I guess, expand our thinking um, and not be so rigid as to thinking that the only ways that you can speak or that you can advocate on your own behalf is through human centric ways yeah. or ways that typically humans have in order to yeah. try and achieve change. Exactly, and it 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 also enacts a really 
limited view on what politics are. If yeah. if voting is the only political act that you do once every few years, then that's that overlooks the many ways you you can make political decisions outside of government. And it's the same if we try and measure other animals' ability to communicate and express themselves and to voice their preferences based on how humans prefer to do it, mm. we're not going to get very far. Yeah. We're going to keep holding them back and thinking that they can't yeah, because we're not seeing it from their perspective. So even, even when the term voiceless is used as a metaphor in these best-case charitable scenarios, it still gives power to those who want to view animals as just mindless objects. Mm-hmm. So in the long run, it's really important for animal advocates to understand that we're going to do more to help animals if we treat them as active participants in their own liberation, in their mm-hmm. own fight for liberation, mm-hmm. rather than trying to act on their behalf. That's, I guess, one of the main takeaways we're hoping people can, can take from this show and from mm. some of the resources that we'll link to is that how important it is to try and let animals be in control of their own destiny mm-hmm. and not to be telling them how they will be saved yeah, or telling or, others how to save them. Yeah. And I always keep saying with animal liberation, as with other social justice causes, we're trying to imagine a radically different world. Mm. We cannot even begin to imagine the endless possibilities that are there. And this is just but one of the many ways in which we need to think about a different world is how are we going to make space? How are we going to make space for their their ways of life? And what other ways of relating does that require from us? Mm. That can be many things. It's about one term that's often used is food voting, you know, mm. expressing your agency not by saying something, but by going someplace else. And there's actually some research done. Somebody mentioned it in relation to animals in um, use for medical experiments, where she sort of put the provocation towards you, like, if we open the cages, hmm. would they still take part in the experiments? Mm. Well, hell no. Yeah. <laughs> it's as easy as that. And we consistently limit the amount of choices available to animals. Mm. And we uh, limit the ways in that they can express their agency. But they still do. They still resist. They always resist. They always express their agency. But we overlook it. And, you know, imagining this radically different world is really about what room for choices are we going to give. So it's about food voting. That is one thing which is really an embodied. It's not a vocal thing, but it's a a really embodied way of expressing your agency. Mm. I actually really liked... Like another way how we can put into practice this radical new mm. world just or little things that we can do to try and help get us there or to change our thinking to be ready for it. Hannah Lowe from the micro-sanctuary movement gave an introduction to their chicken mm. and they said, this is my friend, I call him Bear. He has his own name in chicken language, but I don't speak chicken, so I thought of a name for humans to call him. Mm. And it's little switches in our frame of reference or the way that we Mm. approach things within our mind that can really make a lot of the difference yeah and that can sort of open us up to trying to imagine these radically new different yeah worlds and what i really like in that quote is that it it sort of assumes is that it acknowledges that there's 
layers and layers of knowledge that animals possess that we can't reach. And that's because not all knowledge is for us. Mm. We don't have to know what animals are saying or thinking. We can know how to respond to what they're expressing in ways that are meaningful to us. So that's what I like, you know, about this quote. Like They have a chicken language. They have a way of being with chickens. Chickens amongst themselves, but we can't access that. Mm. And that's fine. Yeah. And talking about chickens, maybe we should go to um, a recording. So for the show, we wanted um, to feature the experiences that people have had who care for animals, who know animals well. So we've asked several people for contributions, starting with Nicole. Yeah, so Nicole has been involved with Melbourne Chicken Save and with rescuing and rehoming chickens and other animals for many years. And I first met her at um, Melbourne Chicken Save vigils. We're going to hear a story from Nicole about a rooster that she's been living with named Tilt. Hi, Trev and Devita. I um, will tell you some, um, some stories about Tilt, who is a broiler rooster. He came to me at about five weeks of age when he was saved from a commercial shed. And Tilt has had many physical problems during his life, which has meant that since the time I met him, he's uh, basically been an indoor rooster. He has a life much like a dog. Um, or a cat. He sleeps by my bed. He comes in for cuddles in the morning in bed uh, when he wakes up. He has uh, special um, things all around the house to help his mobility, so soft mats, um, a wheelchair that he spends time in. When we go out, he has to um, go out in a pram because of his massive size. He can't walk very far, but he loves all the things that, that dogs love to do. You know, He loves to go to a special dog-free beach. He loves to go out and visit friends. Tilt communicates in so many ways. He, of course, has a pretty loud voice because he's a rooster. He has a lot of, a big range of vocalisations and he also uses his wings to be really expressive. You know, he has his wings held kind of up high when he's happy. He does a happy dance when I come home or when he sees somebody that he recognises. It's a real routine to let that person know that he's just so chuffed to see them. He can even recognise cars when they arrive outside the gate. He will know if it's a friend of his before the engine's even turned off, which absolutely blows my mind. And I know that he has recognised that there's somebody here that he knows because he'll head to the door or he'll head to the gate um, to meet them, whereas he doesn't do that when it's the neighbours' cars or just cars driving past. He's also really good at knowing how to let me know when something is wrong. Tilt has a range of medical problems stemming from... The, um, the fact that he is such a genetically modified chicken and one of the things that affects him most is his weight. So he has limited mobility, he gets sore legs easily and if that um, starts to happen he does a couple of things. One, I have a, a buzzing mat that helps his circulation and helps his feet to feel better. So he'll head over to that or he'll be standing on it and I'll hear him crowing at me to plug it in and turn it on. Or he'll head over to his wheelchair and let me know that he wants to get in there. He also has a chronic sinus infection. So 
on days when his face is sore, he will seek me out and come and put his head on my lap knowing that um, I'll massage his eyes for him or he'll head over to his vaporizer and be standing there, you know, crowing until I plug it in and set it all up for him. He is also really good at looking after the other chickens that are here in the way of letting me know if somebody needs attention. So chickens have an amazing language between them. They they use different sounds to call out the names of each other. So he will make different noises to let me know who needs attention. And so many times he has made me aware that somebody is ill or needs something before they've even told me themselves. Yeah, he's um he's very, very special. Thanks, Nicole. Nicole, that was really great. I loved how from your story, you know, you put farmed animals such as chickens in such a different light and mm. it was really great to hear what a different life they can lead because we're used to seeing animals in paddocks and just grazing and that's about the yeah. well maybe not broilers or other other chickens because they're you know often closed up in buildings in sheds but we have such a limited way of knowing animals and what they're life could be you know if they're mm. just grazing in the paddock we think that's fine but you know roosters going to the beach loving going to the <laughs> beach that's just something that just blows your mind and we know dogs like it so why are other animals different and why would it be a surprise but it's a bit of a shame that it's a surprise to yeah, us like exactly they want to have adventures they want to do stuff or don't do certain stuff and so that was really great to hear about that nicole thanks and it's also such a great example. You, Nicole really expresses something that is a different way of attending to animals that has also been um, observed in disability practices, for example. Yeah. Another way to attend to the agency of animals expressed through their voices and also their other embodied ways of expressing themselves is um, something called dependent agency that's also been discussed in disability mm. theories and this has also been taken up by animal theorists. And that is that you're expressing your agency through a relationship with others who are responsive to what you're communicating about your needs and desires. And I feel that's where we have so much to learn is our responsiveness to what others, human and non-humans, are communicating to us. I actually wanted to play another recording. Mm. And the context for this recording is that, again, on a walk with Riley and Trev, um, we were walking over some grasslands and there were, for it, there were trees around. And Amina, the bird Amina, made this noise or vocalized this. And Amina spoke up in this mm. way. And what I loved is that I sort of initially, you know, disregarded it as oh oh they're just swooping or whatever they're doing and they were actually responding to riley walking past because they were sort of attacking her almost and i remember you saying trev that it was like a suicide mission for those miners because <laughs> riley is incredibly big and can just easily harm them but they were expressing something and i thought it was just something they did but trev what i really loved is that you said 
oh, they only do it when we walk, when we pass by, you know, they stop doing that when we, when we've passed that tree. And that was really something that I thought, oh, that really got me thinking about this responsiveness, you know, and if indeed the, the world is awash in layers of communication, how can we be responsive to that? And this was just another example where that sort of thinking became apparent to me. Yeah. yeah. Rather than just thinking about it in our frame of reference, think about it, well, they, they don't want us near this tree. Yeah, so we'll go. We'll move on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we'll try to remember not to walk past <laughs> this tree and give them a bit of space. Yeah, a bit of rest. Because we're making their lives really difficult. Do we want to do another song break? Yeah, so the next song is local Melbourne band Telenova with the song Tranquilize.
20 Years on the Inside is an iconic new podcast series that gives voice to the experience of First Nations people in the Victorian prison system. 20 Years on the Inside, I'm Vicky Roach. And I'm Kutcher Edwards. This series reflects on 20 years of listening to our mobs on the inside as part of the Beyond the Bars prison broadcast. 20 Years on the Inside is essential listening for anyone looking to educate themselves about the realities of life on the inside and the need to end Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander incarceration. A lot of the boys mentioned about being in jail. What you do really isn't who you are. You know, it's how you love your family, it's how you care about your cousins, and it's how you care about your people. That's what, that's what this is about for me. Catch the podcast via the 3CR website or on your favourite podcast app. The current world in which the higher education sector operates is characterized by profit and power. And as universities are further incorporated into global neoliberalism, these ideas of the public good face the most serious threat that they have ever faced. COVID pandemic, besides highlighting all of the other fissures in society, has also really highlighted the terrible inequalities that have long existed within the sector. The precarity, the overwork, declining mental health caused by intensifying privatization and the privileging of profits at all costs. And students who should be our co-learners in this process face mounting debt. If this pandemic has done nothing else, it has shown us that this system in its current iteration is unsustainable. We have to organize and fight against it. There is no other way. There is no alternative to quote somebody who shall remain nameless. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. Hello listeners, welcome back to Freedom of Species. You just heard the song Tranquilize by the band Telenova. We've been talking about animal voices, how they do have a voice. We've mentioned some of the theories that are used to think about animal language and interspecies communication. And we've heard many examples of animals expressing their voice and some experiences that people have had. And we wanted to have another contribution, in this case by Belinda. Yeah, so Belinda Morris, uh, she founded Animal Activism Victoria in 2014. And she is a professional animal minder. She has experience with fostering, rehabilitation, rehoming and rescuing animals from farms and slaughterhouses. And we asked Belinda her thoughts on animal voices and her opinion on the advocacy framing them as voiceless. I spend a lot of time with animals of various species and there's no question that they're able to communicate with others, including humans. Anyone who thinks animals can't or don't communicate with us are just not paying enough attention. I shared my life with a dog for 16 years and she could read my mind. If I even thought about vacuuming, she'd start barking at the cupboard the vacuum was stored in. If I was planning on giving her a bath, she'd sneak off and hide under the bed long before I turned on a tap. I made as much effort to learn her communication style as she did mine and we understood each other very well. But it's not only those we have strong bonds with. I was once visiting a cat who was purring loudly and contentedly while I rubbed her neck. 
Without stopping the pats or changing my tone of voice, I told her I was very sorry, but I had to leave in a minute. She instantly hissed and scratched me and turned her back to me. There was no doubt she knew what I'd said and she didn't like it. Part of understanding animals is learning about their natural behaviours and instincts, how they communicate with each other, like when cats rub their faces together or why lambs headbutt. And another part is simply taking the time to get to know them because they're all unique in the ways they express themselves. In the same way that parents can differentiate the types of crying their baby does for different reasons, but it all sounds the same to anyone else, you can recognise different tones of voice in animals you spend time with. Chickens are very chatty when they know you and they have quite distinct vocalisations for happiness or alarm, general chit-chat, requesting something from you or giggling. Most animals are like this. A few years ago I fostered a young goat who had been completely alone for a couple of days before being rescued and so was scared of being left alone again. If I went into another room without her seeing, she'd cry out in a panicked voice wanting to know where I was. I'd call back to her and she'd race to me. After a few days, she realised she was safe and wouldn't be abandoned, but she still worried. When she noticed I'd left the room, she'd trot around the house calling to me, but instead of a panicked voice, now it was very distinctly an annoyed tone. And the longer it took me to reply, the more guttural it became. She wasn't crying in fear anymore, she was yelling at me to answer her. Most of the lambs I've fostered have gone through a similar stage as they grow up, where they stop pleading for what they want and start demanding it, and there's no mistaking the difference in their voices. The greatest advocates for animal rights are the animals themselves. Animals are not voiceless. They have very loud, very clear voices and they use them perfectly well. Most humans just don't make enough effort to understand them. People in general have more empathy for those they can understand. They won't care what happens to animals if they don't care about the animals. So we need to help people connect with them. We don't have to anthropomorphise them or pretend to be speaking for them, but if we can provide a platform where they can be seen and an explanation for those who need it of what the animals are expressing, we can start to bridge that divide. Yeah, many thanks to you as well, Belinda. It's again an amazing contribution. And what really stood out to me is how she mentioned how You know, it requires something of us. You know, we have to learn behavior. We need to, you know, we're going to learn to read Mm. signs and communication methods. And that requires something of us. And it's about learning a culture, which we talked about earlier. Yeah, it's it's not just not doing wrong things. It's learning how to do things better and actually actively learning Mm. how to add new skills or, or be more attentive to other beings. Yeah. I think a lot of people frame a lot of animal liberation as just stop doing the wrong things mm. without also looking at mm. what things we're not doing that we need to do. Yeah. And the, the paying attention, the spending time, the looking closely, that's all part of it. Yeah. And, and it comes from a, a position of humility as well. And also the example of the different baby cries, you know, that is right it. How, in this case, parents can learn to differentiate between their different cries of their baby um, that might not be as meaningful yet to others. You know, that's that's such a great example. Yeah, so thank you, Belinda, for your contribution. So we're nearing the end, and I wanted to read something from a book on animal communication, a novel that it's been mentioned on the show be- before. It's called The Animals in That Country by Laura, Laura G. McKay. And I'm going to read bits. There's a flu going around, very infectious flu that makes people able to understand animals, to hear animals. And I want to read something about that. This is an actual book with pages here. (laughs) This part is about a daughter. 
who asks her dad. Tell us about the whales again, dad. Lee grins at this. That's the best bit. There's other animals, isn't there? Mammals that aren't domestic. And they're not in jail, they're wild and free. They're singing, refrains, repetitions, notes you can't hardly hear. Deafening choruses. Songs so sad and so happy, those words don't even begin. Can you hear it? And I wanted to read these out because it's just a beautiful, this whole book is a beautiful provocation in how, in the many different ways we can attune to animals and mm. in many, the many different ways they might already be speaking to us yeah. that we're just not listening to. Or not aware of enough. Or not aware of enough, yeah. Yeah. So very soon we're going to leave you with a recording that Nicole sent in for us about the chicken that she lives with, Tilt. We're going to hear from Tilt himself. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And straight after that is going to be our final song. But um, thank you for listening to Freedom of Species for this year, 2021. We'll be back in January of 2022 with more shows every week, 1 p.m. on Sunday. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some shows over the summer break, um, which is our summer specials for the next four weeks. Uh, you're going to hear a lot of music and mm. you're also going to hear from Nick and Katie for one show as well. Yeah, so stay in touch via freedomofspecies at gmail.com. You can reach us on Facebook and on Twitter at FOS Radio. And we love to hear from you. Yeah. The last song we're going to hear today, after Tilt Story, we're going to end with the song Wave by Moju, a Filipino and First Nations artist. See you next time. He has an amazing um, understanding of language too and an ability to really put names to faces. So he has a few people in his life that he sees regularly and... One part of his early disability was that he found it difficult to lift his head up. He had um, a condition called Rhineck. So we put photos of uh, people who were special to him um, up on the wall and he was able to look up at them, but not only look up at the people in the photos, but also recognise who they were. So I could say, you know, where's Lizzie? Where's Chris? Um, Where's Ivy, their dog? That type of thing. And Tilt will pick these good friends out of photos. He also follows conversations really well. So if we are talking about something that he's done, you know, like he's going in the car, he's going to the beach, or we mention a person that he knows, he joins in and um, really, you know, like makes a vocalisation, lifts his wings up, um, starts to, to join in the chatter. He's actually listening to me now looking up at me because I'm saying his name a lot and he knows that that this is something to do with him but the most special times that I think that Tilt has shown his amazing um, voice to me is um, during the past 12 months I have been Gosh, I've been going through a significant period of grief. I lost my dog, who was my partner of 23 years. We did absolutely everything together. 
lived together, worked together, spent um, every moment together apart from when I was overseas. So his name was Comet. Um, He was a Silky Terrier. And of course, when Tilt came to live with me three and a half years ago, Comet became a huge part of Tilt's life. They, um, They were kind of like brothers. Tilt was very, very close to Comet too. And we had lots of great times together. So when Comet died and um, I kind of plunged into grief, Tilt um, was right there too um, for me. He would know why I was crying. He would go and stand over at Comet's bed sometimes um, and just stand there, you know, with his wings kind of slumped head down he was really grieving too and I could tell that he was asking the same kinds of questions that I was you know where is he will we see him again just um wanting a sign that that Colm was still around with us anyhow um Tilt um when I would start crying would come over um right near me and um I cried you know into his back he's got very big shoulders um (laughs) this little rooster man and I cried into his his shoulders once and I felt you know quite bad for just putting all my grief onto um onto this boy but then it became a thing that when I would cry Tilt would come over stand there offer his big shoulders for me to cry into and it's something that he has done you know over the past year for other people too you know, if people have been talking about something sad, you know, not necessarily in tears, Tilt walks over and stands there and offers his um, beautiful big um, wide shoulders for people to cry into. He, um, he's amazing. He is absolutely beautiful and I'm very, very, very um, blessed to, to know him so well and to share so much time with this beautiful boy. The crocro for the radio. Crocro. Don't tread so lightly Oh, oh 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.